What is up, everybody? This is the Tailgate Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Kevin Borba, and joining me, as always, is Sergio de Esperia. And today, it is time to grade the new coaches from this past college football season. Last week, we talked about some recruiting things. Um, we finally got some clarity, and so we'll just dive right into the clarity aspect on one of the recruits, or Kermani McLean, the number one corner in the country, who was at one point committed to Florida, then committed to Miami, is now going to play for Coach Prime at Colorado. The second straight year, he has flipped the number one corner in the country, and a very interesting move. Um, I think you could tell by all of the happenings around his recruitment of kind of dodging signing day the first time, dodging signing day when all the coaches showed up to his school, and then the leaked uh, visit pictures that he tried to say were he was in Tampa when you could literally change your Instagram location to anything. Um, Very interesting recruitment, but it wound up how many people were speculating it would towards the end. And then on the Jaden Rashada front, he has gone from wanting to play football in the state of Florida to now it looks like he's going to be in Pac-12 country, maybe. Um, He took a visit to Arizona State, and this weekend, this isn't Pac-12 country, but it's interesting. He's taking a visit to TCU which I kind of would be interested to see him go there just because they are obviously losing Max Duggan, who's been there for my entire life. Um, They have an open competition at TCU in Arizona state. They have drew pine. And so if he wants to sit a year or two, or maybe he outduels drew pine, I don't know. Um, Very interesting. Signing day is next week. I think it's February 1st is the last, um, the, this was the original throwback Thursday, Sergio, when signing day was just one late day in February and you couldn't sign like two months before and enroll early. Like, remember when that was a thing? Good times. Um, Sergio, are you ready to grade these first year coaches? Sergio, are you ready to grade these first year head coaches? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, for grading first year head coaches is kind of I don't know. It's interesting because each program has a different, uh, I don't know, not just expectations, but like they're coming from different places. So I feel like some coaches, uh, even though it may look like a bad year, I think, you know, there's things that are improved and I don't really think we'll be able to have a real harbinger for what that, those coaches will be like at those schools until after like the third year. I try to give coaches two or three years at a minimum before I make a real assessment. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that the way the industry is going, that's really not enough. That's kind of too much time, but yeah, I'm I'm ready to do that. I do want to clarify one thing. You said Cormani McLean was committed to Florida at one point. That is not true. He was never committed to Florida. He, he was, was, it was expected he would commit to Florida and then the whole circus kind of happened. So just want to point that out there. I don't want to point that out. Uh, as someone who's about to be on the Colorado beat in coming days, um, and even just in general, whenever there's a lot of happenings with a kid's recruitment, it always worries me. I'm not going to lie to you. When there's a lot of flipping and will he, won't he, that concerns me. But hey, that uh-huh. to each their own. I mean, we'll, I guess we'll find out when the time comes. Um, okay. So there were 10 notable hires. I'm only going to do, or we're only going to grade about eight of them because I don't care about the last two. Okay. Um, We have to factor in, like Sergio said, everybody inherited a different situation. Everybody is coming from a different situation. And the expectations at each job are different. Um, So up first, I think we should just start in your home state, Sergio. Your home school, the flagship university 
your alma mater, if you will. <laughs> Billy Napier. And and, and I will. <laughs> and and he will, folks. <laughs> Billy Napier, um, first year at Florida, came over from the Louisiana Louisiana University. It used to be Louisiana Lafayette. Um, I prefer Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, they get they get so, they get really mad when you when you say the Lafayette part. They're they're just like, we're just you Louisiana. It's like, all right, dude, calm down. It's like relax. Um, NCAA, you were Lafayette, so that's how I know you. <laughs> but yeah, what would you give Billy year one? I want to I want to ask you what you would give Billy first because <laughs> I obviously have it from. I cover the Gators on Gators Wire. Uh, I Mm -hmm. am a Gator fan. I have Sideline Judgment where we talk about the Gators, which is a podcast you can subscribe to on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, And I, you know, went to the university. So I'm really invested and I really, I know too much, I guess we could say about Florida and its operation and the the program. So I have an opinion based on all that information. I want to know what you, Borba, before I give okay. what I my opinion, I want to know your opinion so that way we can. And this is the only school I'll ask you on this, just because I know Florida so well. What do you think? What yeah, would you give Billy's a grade from the outside? So I I want to give context. Billy took over for Dan Mullen, who went six and seven this past year, um, and Dan Mullen's peak year was eleven and two, from what I'm seeing. Um, I give mm-hmm. Billy a B minus. Um, I think he kind of inherited, and this was always your knock on Dan Mullen was he didn't recruit. So obviously Billy inherited a roster. I'm not saying they're a bunch of scrubs, but he didn't inherit a roster full of blue chips like the one he's going to bring in next year. Um, already a top 15 class year one, even with a sub 500 season, which I think is pretty impressive. Florida's a brand, but I think sometimes these kids look at win loss records and don't always see the bigger picture. So good recruiting class, um, decent success. At one point they were a top 15 team, I think after they beat Utah and had that little stretch there at the beginning of the uh, year. Yeah, but like that's that's let's let's be real. It was one game Florida overperformed, which was great and you know, a lot of hype, but I would not really count that as like a top 25. You know what I mean? I wouldn't count that. That's a flash though. That's a flash of success and that so I think what Billy and and company need to improve on is basically just bolstering the roster to his liking and to what will work for him. Um I just don't think he had the guys yet. And I think that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you on on your explanation. I would just go B. I wouldn't go mm-hmm. uh, maybe B B minus is probably right. Um, and I think it's because you have to take into a take take into account. Excuse me, uh, all the things he did off the field, right on the field. Yeah, six and seven with losses to Vanderbilt. Yikes, Florida State and Oregon State to end the season. Um, Florida State and Oregon State definitely had much better seasons than they've had in the past. And so I think those are better teams that are on a trajectory upward. Uh, the Vanderbilt yeah. loss is the most inexcusable one, uh, especially yeah. when you have a lead in the first half and then you end up letting them come back in the game. Um, but yeah, listen, it, it's this was it's not a year zero, but it definitely is a year one. And with a OK, we need to kind of cleanse this entire program. Um, a lot of players left, but like. Let's be let's be realistic. I think the the best player that left Florida um, was, uh, you know, a couple offensive linemen. Um, Ethan Little is now on the offensive line over at USC. But even then, I think he's going to be like a depth piece. So like it wasn't like these players went to, oh, you know, lost a recruit, went to Alabama and is going to be starting next. You know, what I mean, we didn't lose these like top tier big players. And actually, if you look at the roster, the best players on this team last season were all players that Billy brought in for his first season. Uh, Trevor Etienne was kind of like the stud 
breakout of the season true freshman travis Etienne jr's brother the legendary clemson running back and the current jags running back he had an incredible season billy's the one that went in and recruited him and brought him in when he when he was um aboard so trevor Etienne, montrell johnson the other running back brought with him from louisiana osiris torrance consensus all-american offensive guard expected to be a first round draft pick this season brought in from hmm. louisiana came with billy um, all the play Ricky Pearsall was a transfer that was brought in by Billy. Pretty much every player that really had a massive impact. Kamari Wilson, who was a five-star player out of IMG, who ended up signing. It was the first ever recruit that Florida signed from IMG, which is a prep academy with full of blue chip players that is down the road from, from Gainesville. It's probably about a two and a half hour drive. Like for, for, for that to be, well, that's what I'm saying. Like for, for a program that's right there, to, to have it take this long to get a recruit from there is a big thing. And Billy did it not just in his first full class, but in his transition class. So I feel like there's a lot of upside here. I think a B minus is the right grade um, in, in the 2023 class. Yeah. You know, the whole Rashada situation happened, but I don't really feel like that's on Billy's hand. I feel like that. I don't even think that's on the Gator collective hand. I think that's, you know, outside people with Rashada and this is not the first time it, it it's not the last time it's going to happen that a major program. It just happened to be that Florida was the one that was in the spotlight for the first time. And even, even without Rashada, there's 20 commits in the 2023 class, 15 are blue chips. That's a 75% mm-hmm. blue chip ratio, which is a blue chip recruit is a four or five star recruit by the four major, cons- um, by the four major recruiting services. That's a big deal. We have not had that quality of player in brought in, in a long time. And I love that Billy is a Florida fan. I love that Billy is taking this like wait and see approach. This uh, let's bring in quality over quantity and we can kind of rebuild as we go. We have about seven or eight transfers that are being brought in. A couple of the transfers that are brought in aren't just like stop gaps. Uh, we brought in an offensive lineman yesterday. Uh, today's the 26th of January. Yesterday, we brought in an offensive lineman from Kentucky who was a top 50 player in the 2021 class played one season at Kentucky transfer. He has three years of eligibility left. So that is a cornerstone for the next three seasons for the Gators. That's an investment. That's a good transfer. That's a transfer. That's not like, Oh, plug a hole in. No, no, no. That is, we're going to bring someone in and really rebuild this, this team. So I'm really excited for, for the roster going forward. Um, I do think that the downside of Billy this season, I do think that at times we saw how limited of a play caller he is. And granted, we are going from Dan Mullen where you can get on Dan Mullen for a lot of things, but one thing you can't get on Dan Mullen for is not have, being creative and not being an offensive genius. That man is an offensive genius. He, If he could just call the plays, I feel like his ideal role in the football world is an offensive coordinator for an NFL team where he can have the work-life balance that he wants, doesn't have to recruit, and is still just there coaching ball, you know, calling plays. That's kind of what he loves to do. So I think those those things can be improved upon. Uh, we've seen some staff updates already in this offseason. Uh, I'm excited for the future going forward. And yeah, I'd give, I'd give Billy a B minus. I know we spent a lot of time on that, but I mean, that's my team. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I honestly, my, I like the transfer class. I was going to bring that up as well. You guys picked up the offense lineman from Kentucky. You got an offense lineman from Bama. Um, and then also an offense lineman from Baylor. Both guys so who have years of eligibility, years right. of eligibility, the not just a one-year thing. And then you got a two lane running back recently, which I feel like is mm-hmm. exciting. Um, the only thing, I, I think my biggest critique transfer portal wise is which I, is and this and I think it's because he I don't want to say counted the eggs in his basket, but I think Rashada was viewed as like we have him coming in 
and it's like I wish they would have swung bigger for a quarterback. But then when you hear but, about, but Grayson can you McCall, blame them though? Can you can you blame them? His his yeah. letter was signed. Like like I don't you I don't think that that's something that you can knock Billy on. The letter was signed. These are things yeah. outside of their control. Like that's just me being nitpicky because like you see Graham Mertz and you're like meh, and that that's the only yeah thing, okay. But yeah, I get the I get the Graham Mertz signing isn't as exciting, especially when there were other better quarterbacks out there on the market. But clearly he was doing mm-hmm. that with the okay. We have Rashad. We have this like. I feel like if any of us were in a similar situation, we would have made a similar move. Now I get we could probably have gotten a better quarterback than Mertz. I think that is the nitpicky and that I kind of agree with, but I don't really fault him for that. Like I don't really this was something that yeah, fell I, out. It's you totally know. like he, he You're just instigating had, right now. You know you're wrong. You know you're wrong and you're instigating. <laughs> I have my instigation face on right now. <laughs> I just I just had to throw that out there. I think uh-huh. I just wanted to bring up that Grant Mertz will be a Florida Gator next year it was kind of my my mo he will be um, in a uniform on. and in the quarterback room uh, i don't want to go i don't want to get ahead of myself and be like that's my quarterback uh, i really hope it's not but you know we'll see <laughs> okay ne- we'll we'll stay in the state um head over to miami um uh, mario Cristobal. uh i think wow okay i don't think we realized as like a as a college football world how bad of a situation miami was in in terms of like Talk about rebuilding. Y'all didn't realize. Y'all didn't realize. He is he is rebuilding that program from it feels like ground zero. Um Mario is a great recruiter. We all know that. Um they went five and seven. They had I think the expectations were too high. Um I never thought they were gonna I think people sometimes like for example, TCU, everybody expected Mario to have that season right away with Miami. Or not everyone, but people. Um, I think these expectations are set too high and it's like, there's a reason there's a new coach. Like it wasn't because things were going swimmingly and they just like decided to, Oh, maybe we'll give this guy a kick. Like that's not how it works. Things were not going well. And so I think I will give him, let me, let me pull up the recruiting class real quick. Cause it's good. It's a, it's a good recruiting class. I want to factor in everything. Um, yeah. Number six in the country transfer class, number 23, um geez they brought in so many people wow 15 8 wow okay um you know i think i feel like a c plus is adequate you know i don't think they Mm -hmm. the one thing that bothered me was the the lack of production from the quarterback position which is like giving me justin herbert flashbacks (laughs) because they have tyler van dyke jake well had jake garcia um and they had another quarterback his name's slipping my mind right now they had three guys who all seemed very serviceable and like tyler van dyke was a projected first round pick prior to the year and it's just like underperforming quarterback seems to be like his thing and that that concerns me um so next year will be interesting because they got van dyke back um i think c plus is fair uh i think next year will be kind of a, a telltale year the ACC should be kind of up for grabs with Florida State and Clemson and Miami um we'll see if Mario's up to the challenge though I I give him a D plus and that's because of expectations that were set not by anyone else but him if you go back Mario says if you go back Mario was is the one that has said listen we can compete you know we can we can win this is a good roster he said all of those things and clearly he was lying out of his teeth because but this is the thing though like this is the perception of miami and i live down here and so i see this on an on a weekly basis when i you know i'll listen to sports radio down here and hear what people are talking and like 
I hmm. have never understood this fascination with like, oh, Miami, but Miami's Miami. Miami has never been Miami. Miami had a really good run in the 80s and the 90s, um, early 2000s. And since they moved to the ACC, they have been a mediocre program. And listen, say this full extent, right? Since Urban Meyer left, the Gators have been a mediocre program. But my expectations of the Gators at this current moment are very realistic. I can, you can go back on this podcast, on Sideline Judgment, on other places, on, on my writing at Gators Wire, and I am very public and very open about how this is going to take time. This is a three- to four-year process to get Florida back to where Florida fans think they should be and where they're actually not. With Miami, it's just there. there isn't a subsection of people like me who kind of are grounded and come back to reality. For the most part, People think that this is just a plug and play and go. You can do it because you're at Miami. But people fail to realize that Miami as an apparatus has not been what, what people think it's been since the early 2000s, since the, they joined the ACC. They've played in one, they have won one division since they joined in the early, in the early to mid-aughts. And that was the year that they went with um, Mark Rick. They won 10 games. They won their division. And they got smoked by Clemson in the championship game, in the ACC championship game. So, like, this is a program that, like, is building stuff. Th this program is more similar to Iowa than it is to Clemson. And that's just a fact. That is a fact on earth of what's been happening at the University of Miami over the past 20 years. I, I just don't see this world where this was such an immediate fix. So when you come in to do this, when you replace a coach who was also Miami, right, in Manny Diaz, and they were winning seven to eight games in the, in the Manny Diaz tenure. Right. And the expectation was, OK, Mario can come in and with those same players that were good enough because they had decent recruiting classes under Manny Diaz that were good enough to perform under Manny Diaz. He can take them to the next level. He can have Tyler Van Dyke emerge as that guy. He can have that defense playing at a higher level than what they need, that what they have been playing. And instead, they regressed. Now, they made a bunch of changes, and I think that those changes were necessary. And I think as a, in terms of building a program to last a long time and compete at a high level. I think Mario's doing the right things right now. But I also go back and I think with at least with Billy Napier, like young head coach, only have the you know, the resume from as a head coach at Louisiana, there's hope and there's faith and there's like a an optimism around it. With Mario, we know exactly what Mario can do at one of the top programs in the country. He had Justin Herbert and quite literally wasted him away and made him look like he was a glorified game manager. You saw that what happened with Tyler Van Dyke this season. He looked like a glorified game manager. He, yeah. Mario, uh, Mario Cristobal's problem has never been recruiting. His problem has never been um, getting building the program itself. It has been the actual act of coaching on the field in the games. Right? He is a he will max out at nine or ten wins and maybe a conference championship game. But he will not be that that coach that Miami thinks that will bring them back to the glory days. Now, I think that he is a perfect fit for Miami because of who he is and his history. But as someone who grew up down here, as someone who lives down here, I just, I and who's not a Hurricanes fan, I just am baffled by the, like, lack of realistic thought and lack of realistic criticism amongst the media down here, amongst the fan base down here. It's like everyone thinks that they're two steps higher than what they are. And by overlooking those two steps they need to get to the next level, they're never going to get to where they need to be. So that's why I give D plus because you, if you come in and you do what Billy did and said, this will take time, this will be a rebuild, whatever. I probably would have given him a, I probably would have given him a C plus, maybe B minus. 
and overlooked those things and been like, okay, he knows what he needs to change, whatever. But if you come in and you say, we can compete right away with the University of Miami, this and that, and have that Miami arrogance that is like basically tattooed on them as a brand, then I don't have any sympathy for you in terms of the gradings. You know what I mean? And this may be a little bit biased of my Florida fandom and all that, but dude, like, I think it's a fair because be realistic, you know? I'm looking at an article right now that talks about how they're, it says, and I quote, if this team isn't in the hunt for the ACC Coastal title in Cristobal's first year, it'll be a disappointment. And then you look at where they started the year ranked. Um, they started the year ranked number 16, um, got all the, way, all the way up to 13 at one point. So it must have been early in the season. Um, and so it was literally like, okay, we're going to plug in Mario and everything is going to be fixed. And it was like, we plugged Dude, in Mario. They got beat. They got beat by Middle Tennessee State at home by two scores. And the game wasn't even close. Like, like it was bad. They were getting blown off the line. Middle Tennessee State had multiple, multiple 80-plus yard touchdowns in that game. That's in, Yeah, they did. Excuse me. That is insanity. That is nowhere near what you should be. Listen, at least Florida, right, where we were competitive in every single game. There was no game. We played up to competition. We played down to competition, all those things. But we never had one of those showings. That Texas A&M-Miami game, in, in hindsight, is just embarrassing for both parties now, looking back. It, it's, it's this t- taper your expectations, get, get realistic, and then that way you can put in the work and actually get to where you think you are. I think those two programs are actually, despite the Miami having success in the late 90s, 80s, or whatever, early 2000s, Texas A&M hasn't had that success where they've won it all, but unless you count like pre-World War or whatever. Um, but they remind me of each other because they're both like, we're the brand. We're the premier school. It's like, you're really not. I'm sorry. You're not. Yeah, but at, least, uh, but, but at least Miami actually has gone to the mountaintop multiple times and has fielded arguably the, the 01 Miami team is, is, in my opinion, the greatest team in college football history. There's no history of that in, in that's why college station. They, they remind me of each other when they think they're the brand. They don't have the past history of success that's the same. But no, but you, Miami you know, does have the past history. It's well, just the they, it's just they, the recency. As each, other, as each other. They don't have the oh, past, same it, success. Okay. But they remind me got of it, each other. They're fan base. Yeah, I, I, I remember the Miami Docs mm-hmm. watching Devin Hester and all of them and Sean Taylor and Ed Reed all on the same team. Yeah, um, great. Nightmares great for any other team. Um, okay, let's get out of the state of Florida, and we will go – a little west, kind of. Yeah, we'll go west. Um, we have Oklahoma, Brett Venables, Brent Venables, excuse me. I always want to call him Brett. Um, and this D plus. And now let me explain. I okay, think go ahead. getting Jeff Levy was a big deal in my eyes. Um, he's currently kind of rumored to be flirting with the Alabama job. Um, huge hire. Um, I thought getting Dylan Gabriel was a good move. And and I thought that Venables coming in, and even though he didn't inherit Caleb Williams and Mario Williams and some of the Oklahoma guys that Lincoln Riley brought in, I thought that they would be at least able to contend for the Big 12 because even at their worst season, which was the year prior, they were contending in the Big 12. And then they went on to have a historically bad year. Um, the defense actually looked worse. And obviously this factors into what he inherited, like, Defenses under Lincoln Riley were never, never, ever thought to be good. Um, They never even made people think that they could be good. But I just assumed that someone as defensive-minded as Venables would be able to come in and kind of 
right the ship on defense and maybe offense wouldn't be as productive, but I figured they'd be middle of the pack to top big top tier big 12 team. And they weren't that um, the recruiting class is very impressive. And I think that gives me a lot of optimism for them in the future. But I think if any of these um, coaches were about to grade, I think Venables is the closest to the hot seat. If I had to make a hot take like that, just based off of the pulse of the country. Mm-hmm. I I would have to disagree with, with that where he's the closest on the hot seat. And it's because uh, my brother's an Oklahoma fan and I'm, we have Oklahoma conversations pretty frequently and the consensus around the fan base, not just my brother, but uh, you know, we've talked about friends of his and just like, kind of like, you know, what's the word amongst Oklahoma mm-hmm. fans? What are they talking about? Kind of thing. They're all very much like we understand the situation. There's a lot of patience in Norman right now. So I don't think he's on the hot seat at all. I would give him a C just like solid C down the middle. And it's because I think if you, I watched a lot of Oklahoma this year. I always watch a lot of Oklahoma. Um, And I'm not saying that you haven't Borba, but I think that there were moments where the defense did some things that I have not seen from prior Oklahoma defenses. It was kind of like a, the, the state, the scales were balancing out a bit, right? Under Mm -hmm. Lincoln Riley, it was like, I'm talking elite level offense, like the best of the best and a super subpar defense. This season, I kind of saw the scales being tipped back a little bit 50-50. The offense still had that explosiveness, but they were missing a lot of players that um, Riley took. Riley took like five or six guys when when he went from Oklahoma over to USC. So they were missing some guys. There were younger guys getting reps, and and the Dylan Gabriel come in. The Levy hire was perfect, all that stuff. And then on defense, I really did see this improvement, like a significant improvement on defense. They turned into a bit more of a bend-don't-break style defense, which is always a good sign. Um, if you can limit touchdowns, you're more than likely it's going to lead to victories eventually. Um, and so I feel like they were able to do that really well. And because of that, I'm going to just go see straight down the middle recruiting class was really good. The offense can improve and listen, it's Oklahoma. And so what they went, they went six and six and then lost the bowl game. So they went six and seven. Right. And if you watch that bowl game against Florida state, that was a really good game on both sides of the ball by the Oklahoma, by Oklahoma. So I, I think there's a lot of optimism in Norman. I think next season they can get to that eight, not eight or nine win threshold. I have to look at their schedule to be, you know, give you an exact prediction. But I think eight wins is realistic next season. And then as long as there's improvement on defense, as long as there's more improvement on offense, I think that with the players they have coming in, they can be prepared to maybe not be a, you know, maybe not contend for an SEC championship immediately when they show up in the SEC. But they can. I think that they are better than I think the way that the trajectory of the program is going when they enter the SEC, apart from Georgia, Alabama, hopefully Florida at that point, but I don't know. Um, But to be sure, Florida, Alabama, LSU, um, and maybe, you know, take your pick of a Florida, Ole Miss, Auburn, Tennessee, right? One of those four. I think they have a chance to slide in as, you know, one of those teams in that secondary tier of the conference. And I think that that is a drastic improvement from what you saw this season. I think they're on the right track. So I'll just go see straight up because it wasn't horrible. wasn't great. Um, and then mm-hmm. I think the difference between Venables and Napier, why I gave Napier B minus and I gave, um, and I gave uh, Venables a C, I think it's just because um, I, I'm, I, I'm a bit more tuned in with Florida than I am with Oklahoma. And so for that reason, um, that's what the difference there. Yeah, I think, obviously, I think there's 
maybe I had too high of expectations for the defense. Like I didn't expect them to be ranking in the one twenties, but there were flashes. And I think sometimes it's, it's easier to look at the overall picture than take in like particular moments. Like obviously we all watched Texas beat the brakes off of them in the red river game, but they were playing Davis bevel who I think I could out throw with my left hand. Like it was, it was getting rough out there. And I think my favorite part about Oklahoma's off season right now is when you look at their transfer portal class um, outside of, let's see five of their five or six of the guys they brought in. It's all defense. They brought in a good defense alignment from Texas state. They brought in a defense alignment from wake forest. They got Deshaun McCullough from Indiana, who was the highest rated recruit that ever signed with Indiana. And they got his brother. And I think there's a third brother on the way coming to Oklahoma. So it's like, they got the McCullough clan. They got a lot of people who will help. Recruiting isn't the issue. They're doing really well in recruiting both in the transfer portal and from high schools. I think it's just, he didn't do well with the leftover guys from Lincoln Riley. And when you look at how poorly that defense was with a team that was centered around the offense, I think we have to keep in mind that it's hard to get guys who can't play defense to play defense all of a sudden. And I think that's what Venables had to do. Um, We're going to go down South a state and head to Texas where Sonny Dykes had his first year at TCU um, I think this has got to be an A, A plus range. Um, in season success was there. They were coming off five and seven records the year prior. Um, he just signed their highest rated recruiting class ever. And I kind of think he made TCU not the face of the big 12, but they are like the heir apparent to the big 12 face. If you know what I mean? Like, I feel like once Texas and Oklahoma leave, I think I could see TCU asserting themselves as that premier brand. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree. They definitely took the mantle and really um, grabbed a hold of it and, and established themselves as we got next, for sure. I mean, you can't give them anything less than an A, right? Like, it has to be. You have to give TCU an A this season, right? Like, you have, um, you know, you have Sonny Dykes come in and essentially just be like, wow, there's like a lot of really good players on this roster. What if we, oh, I don't know, use them properly? And then he did. <laughs> so like he went around and just kind of, you know, maximize the talent on that roster. And I think the bit, the best sign is the fact that they were in so many one score games, so many close games, and they pulled them all out with the exception of the big 12 championship game. They really pulled them out. It's crazy that after such an incredible season, TCU walks away without a single trophy no titles right they didn't they didn't win the big 12 they ended up losing the kansas state um on some some questionable boss ball spotting in overtime but that's another podcast for another day and then you know we saw what happened they got that win i guess i guess they get the fiesta bowl trophy i guess i should say but you know they get the win in the fiesta bowl over michigan when you know michigan disrespects them the whole week leading up to the game they kind of prove them wrong and then you know we don't have to talk about the natty but that's i don't really think it was more on tcu there that's just georgia that's just Georgia being they were, Georgia. They're being really good. They overachieved. Let's call it what they it did. is. They overachieved. And they I they think, did. I think if if you if you ask a TCU fan or at the beginning of the season and say, Hey, we'll give you eight wins, you win your bowl game, you get nine wins, and you have a really good recruiting class, would you take it? They jump on it. Are you kidding me? They jump on that. So the fact that they oh, went yeah. made it all the way to the natty, um, that's incredible, man. That's that's fantastic. I think uh you can't give Sonny Dykes anything less than an A. And their transfer class is, I think, sneaky underrated. Um, they got an Alabama running back transfer, Trey Sanders, who IMG kid that was like the number one ranked running back. He was all of that coming out of high school. 
Um, didn't really pan out at Bama, but has a chance at TCU. They got an offensive lineman from Alabama as well. And then they got a receiver from Alabama. And then they got a Florida corner, um, Avery Helm, who was rated fairly high coming out of high school. And so I think they're taking chances in a lot of these guys who maybe didn't pan out at their first school, but still have the potential to be better than what they were. Um, they just need a chance to play. And so I think TCU will kind of, like you said, they got next. And I think they will continue to have next. Um, moving on. I'm really have... I'm really excited just to, to put a button on this whole conversation. Yeah. I'm very excited for the Big 12 next year because next year you have the oh, yeah. addition of UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. And then you also have Texas and Oklahoma staying for that this one season. I'm very, mm-hmm. very, very interested to see how the new schools that come in um, adapt to the Big 12 coming from the American and how um, the, the Big 12 schools that are going to stay after Texas and Oklahoma leave kind of make what moves they make on and off the field in terms of trying to establish themselves to to contend TCU for, all right, who's going to fill the power vacuum once those two schools leave? Yeah, and they position themselves where Oklahoma State is kind of seems like on a downhill slope right now, losing pretty much a quarter of their roster, losing coaches, and they literally put Derek Mason into retirement out of football. Like <laughs> Oklahoma State is on the downside, and TCU is on the up. Um, perfect time to peak. Uh, we have to go a little west again. I skipped over a state. We have LSU, Brian Kelly. Um, I think if you ask everyone who likes to overreact quickly after week, I think that was week one when they played Florida State, what you would grade Brian Kelly, they'd go F minus. Um, I think that that Florida State game kind of set everybody up to kind of, I think people wanted to hate on Brian Kelly this year. I'm going to be honest with you. There was the way he left Notre Dame, which, I mean, we talked about it on multiple pods. There's just not really a great way to tell the team that you're leaving. Now, could he have gone about it better? Sure, I don't care. Um, old, that's old fruit, whatever they say. Um, they made fun of him for dancing with that recruit on the spinny uh, picture thingy where he's, like, dancing. Kind of looks like he's grinding on the on the kids. It's, it's a weird thing. And then... Did the you see that, that that recruit entered the portal? Did he? I did not. Yeah, that recruit entered the... I don't know where he is. I forgot his name, but I think I saw somewhere where it was like, hey, remember this? Yeah, that that kid's now in the portal. I was like, oh, wow, okay, yeah. cool. And, and the fake accent, the fake Southern accent after being there for about five minutes. And so I think Brian Kelly really set himself up to be hated on. Um, like, we'll say... We'll, we'll call a spade a spade. He set himself to be hated on, but I think you have to give him at least an A- minus this year. Um, they made it to the SEC Championship. Uh, he took a quarterback in Jalen Daniels, who I don't know if you remember when he transferred, the Arizona State kids were snapping, taking all the stuff from his locker and calling him trash and being like, we didn't need him anyway. He sucked. And he really turned this program around after it hit its peak with Ed Orgeron. Ed Orgeron kind of stopped wanting to be a college coach and was just on his playboy grind. And then when they needed a coach, they went to Brian Kelly. And then you look at their transfer class and their recruiting class, top five recruiting class, number one transfer class in the country. Brian Kelly's doing it. Like he he was having success at Notre Dame with recruiting and transfer restrictions. This is nothing, no restrictions. And I think we're going to see probably peak Brian Kelly. I think, um, listen, Brian Kelly's not the most likable person. And I feel like any He's journalist not. and or coach um, who's like, it's no, it's notable that almost everyone who talks about Brian Kelly publicly 
never brings never says like oh you know what a great guy this and that they always just go straight to that's a ball coach he does his job really well and i think he's proof that you don't have to be fully likable to everyone in order to do a good job um i'm gonna give him i'm bordering between a b plus and an a minus and it's because i still don't know how that's how that whole situation is gonna work ultimately Mm -hmm. like we saw high points this season and then we saw points where i was like yeah, that makes sense. That's that's Brian Kelly at LSU and doesn't understand the environment. But then again, you know, the greatest coach of all time, Nick Saban, was at Michigan State, went to LSU, and people said, that's weird. He's not really going to fit. He's a West Virginia guy. He's not from the South. Ended up being winning a title at LSU. And then when he comes back, he goes to Alabama, arguably even more, you know, quote-unquote Southern than, than New, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Louisiana area. So it's like, I don't know. Things can work out, and things work out in mysterious ways, but. I mean, I'll probably I'll settle on an A minus because I feel like, yeah, you do make the conference championship game. Uh, you beat Alabama on a two point play that you kind of dug out from seven, eight years or from a decade ago when you did ran that uh, Notre Dame FSU game, that that two point play. It's it's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, I think that's a combination of Alabama being on a bit of a down year um, and also LSU kind of having that momentum in the game being, um, you know, at Tiger Stadium at night. But yeah, I think A minus is the way to go for his first year. But this one, I'm going to put an asterisk next to it. Asterisk next to it because I just don't know about LSU. I need more. T- I need a lot more time with LSU to see if I think this is going right. to work. And also, like that report that came out yesterday about like, oh, we overpaid him. It's like, is it really the most organized place? So I don't think it's a you know crazy and stuff. I don't think it's Auburn, but you know, it's like, yeah. is it really that organized? And can you have that level of success? I don't know. I feel like LSU is is the preeminent like. Um, supernova of college football like they get a star it's gonna burn bright but it's gonna go out quickly and then they kind of just redo the whole process every coach they've hired in this in this century has won a national championship at lsu so can brian kelly meet that expectation that they have you never know you never know i like the the comparison honestly the report yesterday of him being paid a million dollars over what he was supposed to be paid honestly hilarious here here's a solution so what so does he have to there. like does he have to like write a check for a million dollars and send it to the irs or something like what do we what happens now I, like is that just issue, his because if i was given it i'd be like hey you paid me what do you want me to do you know? I, <laughs> I didn't do I'm that like, wrong that's not I'm my like, problem take it off next year's check i don't care um <laughs> the issue was they paid his personal account and his llc account so they just like doubled up on payments and yeah, that's why happens, because like, coaches can only make us at public schools can only make a certain amount from the university and the rest comes from a booster program that is correct that is correct yeah so i honestly would just be like take it out of next year's it's fine um moving on we're finally out of the southeast disgusting no i'm just kidding um let's go oh i just scrolled past it here we go organs dan lanning um we'll go way out west I really like what Dan Lanning did. I'm going to go B plus a minus here. Um, I think Mario left the program in good standing, but I don't, I don't think he ever reached the potential Oregon has. Um, I think we saw what the potential was with Chip Kelly at his peak. They were contending for national titles. Um, Keyword on contending. They didn't ever win one, but they were there and that's half the battle. Um, Half the battle to winning a championship is being there. So shout out to Chip. Um, He's recruiting well. I think outside of that Georgia game, which had a lot of people concerned and overreacting, which again, 
we're going to hit the same. I'll say this. Sergio will probably say it too. Georgia was really good. It, losing to Georgia by a lot proved absolutely nothing because a lot of people lost to Georgia by a lot. AKA, look at our national championship result. Georgia was good. Um, breaking news, just in case you didn't know that. Um, Recruiting-wise, I think they were one of the biggest winners in terms of recruiting classes. They kind of um, brought in a top – at one point, it was a top 10 class. Right now, they're sitting at 11. Um, the transfer class is really impressive. I think Dan Lanning is kind of – I don't want to say making an Oregon SEC program, but he, it feels like he's trying to treat it as such, if you know what I mean. That's exactly what he's doing. That is exactly what Dan Landing is doing. And for that reason, I don't, I'm blast. I'm shocked that you have given him anything less than an A plus that man did damn near the impossible at Oregon this year. He was able Mm -hmm. to maybe we'll, maybe we'll settle on a, because he did blow that game against uh, Oregon state with some coaching decisions. But apart from that, yeah, yeah. But right. But like, based on expectations from where they were going all the way through what actually happened, man, Mm. Dan Lanning had an incredible year and the recruiting is top notch. It has not missed the beat from when Mario left. That is a really, excuse me. That is a really, really, really good apparatus that they have going up there in Eugene and Eugene. And I think that it was a fantastic job. I think (laughs) I'm so sorry, Oregon fans, but I think Dan Lanning in a couple of years, is going to come back to the SEC because of what he's doing at Oregon. Um, and yeah. that sucks because that would make the one, two, that would make that would be the third coach in a row to leave Oregon after being successful for a job in the South. And I don't know. It's just the way the sport goes, man. But I'd definitely give him an A. I think it was a fantastic season. And yeah, for all those reasons. Yeah, I think, and you could even go a step further and make it four coaches that left um, because Chip left as well to take an NFL gig. Um, it's just really unfortunate that they're they keep having to like. It's like they're a really top tier. They're like a tier below. Well, the hold top on, it program. hasn't it hasn't happened yet. So let's not let's not talk about you know. I'm just saying. Yeah. I think it's possible that in a couple of years that possible. could happen. I really do. Yeah, I think if I'm if I'm Uncle Phil, I start throwing the bag like. I make Dan loading. Landing I think he like already is throwing the bag. I think he already throw is throwing the bag. No, Even but Nike I don't. Stock. I don't. This is one of those things where I don't think money's everything. I think some guys just want to go and coach in the SEC. Like I really do. And and you know me, I'm the biggest G5 proponent. Yeah. Even though my school's in the SEC, I, I I'm not a big fan of the whole SEC SEC homerism thing because I do believe yeah. that college football is you know national and not just about one. We shouldn't be competing amongst the regions in this country we just should we should want every part of college football to be great but i do think that there is this mentality and this reputation especially from guys who have coached in the south and maybe grew i don't know where dan landing's from but you know if they grew up in the south or all those things there's this thing where they want to coach in the sec because you can't argue it is the best college football league and i feel like no amount of money that oregon throws especially now in a pac-12 that's going to be without the two la schools I don't I don't think that that's something that they can really compete with. That's out of their hands. You know, money doesn't solve every single problem. It solves a lot of problems, but I don't think it solves yeah. every single problem. And I think this is one of those that it doesn't solve. You know, what I think could help them is I think they have to hope that Dan Lanning's alma mater, I don't even know where he went, like doesn't open because that's kind of what's been getting them is like Willie Taggart's dream job is Florida State. He bounced the, after the dream job Mario. stuff. Yeah. The dream job stuff. They need like his dream job to stay successful. I don't know what Dan Lanning's dream job. Maybe it's Georgia's dream job. And so that case, they'll fend Georgia off for 
the foreseeable future. But yeah, really like what Dan Lanning is doing at Oregon. It kind of feels like on the West Coast here, at least when it was like Marcus Mariota years, it feels like Oregon's getting back to that um, being that popular brand again. Um, people would have like Oregon stickers. Everybody wanted to play quarterback at Oregon. Everybody wanted to wear the 3000 uniforms. Like Oregon feels like they're getting back to that again um, after being semi irrelevant ish um, under Mario. Okay. We have Notre Dame. Um, ooh, this one's kind of, this one's tricky. I think I'm going to go C plus B minus in that range. Um, they started off terrible. I, I think we both agree there. They recruited well. Um, they've got a good transfer quarterback who will probably help this team contend for whatever they hope to contend for next year. Um, I think he turned it around. I think it was a tale of two seasons, and I think it went could have gone 50-50, so I'll just go right smack in the middle, see. Um, I think it could have gone better, but it didn't go terrible. Sorry, my, my, my mic was muted. I agree. I agree with you. I'm going to go, I'm going to go B minus and listen, you can't lose the Ohio state loss was fine. Right. First game on the road, close game actually to a, to a brand. That's fine. No one's, no one's faulting him for that. The Marshall loss was borderline inexcusable. And the, the Akron close, close, close game was also oof, big yikes. But I, I agree with you what you said. It, it was a tale of two seasons. And I think that he was just kind of first time head coach. So he's kind of getting his sea legs under him. Um, started his tenure out with two close losses, the Oklahoma state Fiesta bowl last season, and then Ohio state this season to start the year, um, an embarrassing loss to Marshall and then kind of got the close loss to Toledo or Akron. I forgot which Ohio G five school they played and then forward and moving forward. And I think that they ended up developing and doing well with the addition of Sam Hartman next season. I think they will be in a much better place. Um, even if it's just for one season as like a transfer quarterback, I do like him a lot and I mm-hmm. think that it will fit well. So, and the defense wasn't the problem last year either. It was the offense. So I feel like, you know, Tommy Reese that, that Harold did offensive coordinator that he ended up keeping from going to LSU. That's a big win. The recruiting it's is funny. is still doing well. So I, I'm going to give him a B minus and it's, it probably would have been a B plus if he didn't lose to Marshall to be hundred percent honest, but I'm excited for where it goes forward. I hope that Notre Dame has the patience to be able yeah. to give him time. Um, Join a conference. And, uh, and I agree <laughs> with that, with that statement, but I just hope they give him the time that he, that he deserves to, you know, work out some kinks and stuff. You know, he should be there at a minimum four seasons to really get a chance to see how he operates a program. Um, and yeah, I think he's really good and a great defensive mind and I think he can do it. So B minus for this season. Yep. And they lost to Stanford too, which is also a reason to dock them. Stanford was that, terrible. yeah, that is also a bad one. That one's also bad. <laughs> Stanford was terrible. Okay. And then our final coach of the coaching grading system, Lincoln Riley at USC. Um, really interesting here. I think people want to grade Lincoln Riley on his success at Oklahoma. And they're going to look at that two lane game, which was an utter disaster. Um, they lost that game. I think in the last minute and a half, it felt like where it was just like, okay, turnover. Okay. Onside kick. Okay. Safety, whatever. Like it fell apart so quickly. Um, I'm going to go a, in terms of USC was a bottom dweller of the PAC 12 in years prior. Um, they haven't really been, competing nationally if we're being honest um sam darnold was peak usc a few years ago and they were nowhere near the playoff level um usc was 
not losing the Pac-12 championship away from possibly being in the playoff this year. Um, year one, he's recruiting well, transfer classes. I'll give him, did I say A? I'm going to go A minus. I want to give him some room to grow with the defense. Um, he decided to keep Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, and we're going to find out if sticking with friends is the move. Um, they obviously have room to improve, but there could have been a move made there. I think this is the complete opposite of the Mario Cristobal situation, and I'll tell you why. With Mario, it was a lot of talk early, and it was a lot of these are the expectations, and you have to meet them, even though mm -hmm. they weren't set up to meet them. And that's why Miami ended up going 5-7. and seven. But with Lincoln Riley, the expectation was, hey, look, this roster is good enough with what you brought in and your offensive mind and all these things. This is we're good enough to play for a Pac-12 title. That was the goal from day one. It was never it was never win a championship, make the playoff, even when they had playoff hopes and they could have made the playoff at the end of the season. They never were like holding him to that as being the expectation. And I think that he met the expectations. This was exactly what we anticipated, at least those of us who watch college football regularly anticipated mm -hmm. from Lincoln Riley in his first season. Um, in Southern California, he won what they won 10 games, right? And they got to, they got to that PAC 12 title game. Now they lost to Utah in the PAC 12 title game, but they also lost to Utah on the road during the regular season. And they ended up losing to Tulane in the cotton bowl. Um, Jordan Addison didn't play in that game. Caleb Williams wasn't a hundred percent. There were a lot of question marks there. Um, and so I give him just a solid a for meeting the expectations and being on path and on track exactly what everyone thought that they were going to be on. Now, mm -hmm. this could very quickly change to a C minus D plus if the Alex betting on Alex Grinch again doesn't work out for him because that has been the Achilles heel for Lincoln Riley at wherever he is coached. He does not have a defense that is capable of holding things together for him to win the big one, right? He can do that in conference play and they can win and blow teams out and all that stuff, whether it's in the big 12 with Oklahoma or the PAC 12 with USC. But when it comes to winning the big important game, he has shown us that he hasn't been able to do that yet. And it's mostly because of his, um, uh, his reluctance. Let me, I think it is the proper word here. It's almost because of his reluctance to not go out and really make those defensive changes that he needs to make, right? Over-reliance on someone like Alex Grinch, who has shown that he's not able to put up a defense together. I look back and I think of, I think it's 2015, um, whatever, the Oklahoma team that went to the Rose Bowl and played against Georgia in an instant class, in one of the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest college football playoff semifinal that we've seen um, since the playoffs were, were enacted in 2014. 2015, 2016, incredible game. If that George, if that uh, Oklahoma team, excuse me, if that Oklahoma team, if their defense is even just 10% better, they're winning the national championship because that offense was unstoppable. Um, Baker was in his prime, like really in his bag. You guys like CeeDee Lamb that were young. You had Hollywood Brown was there. Like you have great players that they could have on offense competed with anyone in the country. If that defense is just a little bit better, you look, you look at the numbers from that from that Oklahoma team, and it's like offense is top five, defense is literally bottom five. If they have even just an average defense, they win the national championship. So it's interesting. Yep. We'll see what happens with USC. Are they able to make those changes? Is Alex Grinch able to adapt, and maybe some defensive players can come in and they can take that next step? 
Um, very curious to see what happens. But for year one, I'll just give him a flat A, met expectations, did everything that everyone expected. Now is the time where we need to see, okay, what can you do? What can you change? Um, can you adapt? Yeah, and Lincoln brought in Grinch uh, in 2019 to replace Mark Stoops. He had to fire his, um, what would you call that? Like when you're the when you're the guy learning. Um, I'm, his apprentice? His apprentice. He had to fire his, like, the guy he looked up to, his mentor, his brother. And so he had to make a tough call, fire Mark Stoops, get Alex Grinch in there. And Grinch had, like, a decent year of improvement in Oklahoma, but it's kind of fizzled i would say i think if you're a usc fan you can look at it one of two ways one usc's defense didn't have the talent that they needed to kind of compete throughout the entire season as much as they needed and grinch had moments where all three of their losses they were up by double digits and so it's like they showed that they could and they led the the nation turnovers they showed that there are like some things that can work it's just can they play a complete four quarters of defense? We don't know. We have not seen. And I think this is kind of like prove it or get out mode for Alex Grinch. And I think that'll be the difference between USC winning the Pac-12 and moving on to greater and better things in the college football playoff. Or if we'll be grading them next year and being like, well, they won 11, 10 games again. Um, their defense couldn't hold up. And we're telling the same story and we're knocking up the same old tree. Um, I think so, yeah. it's I think it's the latter, and I think that we've already seen enough. I personally have already seen enough from Alex Grinch, where I think that he, you know, Lincoln should probably make that change now. But we'll see what happens next year. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, it took Harbaugh what seven years to beat um, Ohio State, so you never know. You never know. I think I think the Oklahoma stigma is just following the the defense stigma is following them, even in sunny California. Um, speaking from someone who's in sunny California, it stopped raining for. It was raining for like two weeks. This has been a sunny episode of the Tailgaters Podcast, brought to you by the Blues Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, share. Um, we will be back next week uh, talking about anything that happened in college football. we got transfer portal things happening. Signing day is going to happen. The original, the OG signing day. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Kevin. He's Sergio. We will see you next week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube